Greetings, everybody. We're very happy that you've joined us today for a thoroughgoing discussion between our, our two candidates. Uh, we're very pleased as a city club of Idaho Falls to be able to promote pi public dialogue. It is our great mission. Uh, just so you understand the format today, and I've reviewed this with our two candidates, uh, each candidate will have five, excuse me, four minutes for opening remarks. They'll have three minutes for closing remarks. In between, when they receive questions from me, they'll have two minutes to answer. The opponent has one minute to respond, and then the original speaker has one more minute for rebuttal. Uh, and the great feature of this format, I think you'll agree, is that they each have the opportunity to ask of the other a single question, which we hope will bring some interesting uh, dialogue. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to delay this any longer. Uh, let me invite to the stage our two candidates, Sherry Ibarra and Janet Jones. Ladies. One other point, we have a prize-winning timekeeper seated right in front of me, Amy Lintz. Uh, the yellow card, uh, as the candidates know, means you have 30 seconds to wrap up the questions. The red card means you're done, you're toast. So, by uh, virtue of a, of a coin flip, uh, Ms. Yabara has won the right to offer the opening remark, which means then that uh, Dr. Jones will offer the last word. So, we're very pleased to have both of you here today. Thank you, Ms. Yabara. Thank you. Well, good afternoon. Um, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for having me here. Um, Idaho Falls, this is um, wonderful for the invitation and the food has been fantastic and everybody has just been very respectful and shown great hospitality. So first I'd like to say thank you. My name is Sherry Ibarra and I am running for State Superintendent of Public Instruction. I have nearly 20 years of experience on the front lines in all phases of education. I have been a classroom teacher for 11 years a vice principal, a principal, a federal programs director, and a curriculum director. I do have three degrees. I have a Bachelor of Arts degree in elementary education. I have a master's degree in educational specialist degree um, with an emphasis in the superintendency. Under my leadership, I took a team from failing status to four-star status, all by stretching the dollar, empowering the teachers, and maintaining a focus on a vision for education. For example, <clears throat> my um, platform of Address the Whole Child simply stated means that we will address the unique needs of our children as individuals. And we can do that by, with a focus on three top priority items. And that is making sure that our testing system takes a motion picture of growth over time instead of just one snapshot. Um, the second piece of that is uh, focusing on safety and support. When our kids and our teachers feel supported, they are at their highest achievement level. And the last part of that is focusing on 21st century abilities. And what that means is, simply put, just strong speaking skills, strong writing skills, and strong in the area of technology, and being able to problem solve. And I know that this method works because I've already applied it. I would be honored to represent you as the next state superintendent of public instruction. I have the energy level, the enthusiasm, and the skill set that Idaho is looking for. My name is Sherry Ibarra, and I ask for your support in November. Good. Yes, thank you. Please hold your applause throughout until the very end. 
thanks for being cognizant of it. Thanks very much. And now, Dr. Jones, four minutes. Well, good afternoon, and thank you to City Club for sponsoring this event. It's really good to be home. It's great to see some friends um, that I've known for years and worked with here in Idaho Falls, and also to have uh, many of my family members here. Our schools are in real crisis. Many of our kids are not performing at the level that we want them to be able to perform. Idaho ranks near the bottom or dead last in so many indicators of quality education. We have over 40 school districts that are on four-day school weeks simply because they can't afford to keep the lights on and the buses running. That means that those kids in those districts are missing out on at least one month of quality education time. I could go on and on, but you know this as well as I do. do. And while there's a lot to argue about when we're in an uh, election year, there's a lot of things that we need to talk about that um, really will help voters understand what's most important for our kids and what's most important for our schools here. But the thing is, is I think we can all agree that this is not where we want to be in education in Idaho. And we must do better. It's absolutely essential. What I want for our kids is very simple. I want safe schools. I want high quality teachers that feel valued and supported. I want to have smaller class sizes. And I want to have modern up-to-date classrooms that has technology that supports instruction and enhances learning for our students. And I want to have high rigorous standards that prepare our kids for the future of their choice. But most of all, I want us to start feeling good about our schools again. Restoring that kind of hope and optimism is going to require firm leadership, but more importantly, leadership you can trust. With a doctorate in educational leadership and six certifications, including superintendent, and having spent over 40 years in education in Idaho, from a classroom teacher right here in Idaho Falls, to being Idaho's chief deputy superintendent of public instruction, I know what needs to be done, and more importantly, I know how to do it. The last eight years has been very hard on our kids and on our classrooms. We cannot, as Idahoans, afford to continue down that path. My opponent did not vote on the Luna laws. She said that she would carry forward the Luna budget and she would also move into the office next door to him right after the election so he could train her on how to be the next superintendent. I think it's time for a change and I think it's time that we have strong educational leadership and have someone who can put politics and partisanship aside and has the experience to bring people together to do what's right for our kids and get the job done. Now, if you like Tom Luna, you're going to love Sherry Ibarra. But if the last eight years have taught us anything, we can't afford to have a superintendent who is well-intended but ill-prepared. Thank you. Thank you very much. And now our first question, uh, to which each candidate will respond, uh, begins with a question to Ms. Ibarra. Uh, as, you, as you well know, uh, Idaho ranks last in the nation when it comes to per-pupil per spending. What's your reaction to that? Well, I think um, that's really 
um, important because there's a lot of research out there and we all know this is why charter schools were invented. Charter schools were originally invented for innovation and so that we could work together to see um, in, the in the traditional public setting what's working and what's not. And so what we have learned from them is it's parental involvement that is the, the one thing that affects achievement. But those are the conversations that we have not been having around the state about what are we learning, what can we take from that. Now, do I think that we're spread dangerously thin? Probably. Uh, but it will be my job to work alongside the legislators to make sure that we have discussions about what adequate funding looks like. And adequate funding, I can tell you, is not um, large classroom sizes at the lower levels. It is not a la lack of basic necessities, and it is not school districts that are on four-day work weeks if they don't want to be there. Um, the other thing is, is funding that is low and steady is better than funding that is erratic and all over the map. And what I mean by that is an education just like in your home. It's really hard to plan for the future if you are wiping out a rainy day fund and you get a one-time payment for that. And so then what happens next year? And so I think that um, we need to take a hard look at achievement. I think we need to take a lesson on parental involvement. And I think that's the beauty of my platform of Address the Whole Child is that we need to start taking a look at a testing system that takes a motion picture of growth over time so we can see exactly where it is that our students are performing. Now, I will be a tireless advocate for our students in every single thing that they need. It will be my responsibility to make sure our students have what they need, but it will also be my responsibility to make sure that that dollar is stretched out to the maximum. Thank you. Two minutes to you, Dr. Jones. Thank you. What Idaho needs is an advocate for our kids and for our public schools. The state role of the state superintendent is to prepare a public school budget that represents what the needs are for our students. And as state superintendent, I will do that in collaboration with our educational stakeholders from around the state. We need to have a strong voice as educators because what we have seen in the last eight years as we've seen the resources diminish, the number one thing that schools tell me when I talk to our districts, superintendents, when I talk to our school board members consistently, it's that we do not have the resources to meet the basic needs of our students. And until we get back to where we were and have those basic needs met, it's going to be very hard for us to continue to be successful. They have stretched every dollar as far as they can go. And as a result, they've ended up to have to cut programs. They've had to cut um, budgets and, and transportation and all kinds of things that are really detrimental to our kids. What we need is a strong superintendent who can work collaboratively with the education field and with our legislature and to help identify where resources can come from, but also to make sure that they understand if they want our education system to be uh, the best that it can be and that we want it to be our number one priority in this state so we can have economic stability and we can bring and grow new businesses here, it's absolutely essential that we raise education and we give our school districts the resources they need to be successful. Thank you. Uh, one minute for rebuttal. Yes. I think um, sometimes when we constantly focus on the negative, that's very disrespectful to the people that have been on the front lines for us. 
and we've heard everything about what they don't have, but there were several districts in Idaho that did achieve and got all the way to a five-star status. Um, do I think that we have some issues that we need to work on? Absolutely, absolutely. But I'm here to help solve them and not offend people as I go across the state talking to them about. These are the wonderful things that have been happening in the classroom. You are a, an example of an administrator who took a school that had never in the history of Idaho made adequate yearly progress or at the least been a four-star school. So I am proof that no matter how much money you were throwing at it, whether it was in 2002, 2009, whenever, they still weren't making any gains. It has everything to do with what kind of leader you have out front there who knows those kids, who knows that staff, and knows exactly what it is that Idaho is going to need to move to the next level. Thank you, time. Thank you very much. Next question goes to you, Dr. Jones. Economic reports detail wide variances in per pupil spending across the state from district to district. Do you favor equalizing uh, the per pupil spending? If, if not, why not? I think it's absolutely essential that, you know, our, our state has a constitution that says that the state will provide an equal and thorough public education and free public education to our students. That has never been clearly defined. And so as a result, whatever happens, happens. I think it's absolutely important that we bring together the groups of legislators um, and educational stakeholders and we define what that looks like so we can ensure that our kids get that basic and we know what the basic is. Right now, school districts are, um, over 94 school districts have passed supplemental levies. Used to be supplemental levies were for extra things, things like um, enhancing a gifted, talented program or buying new equipment for the school, those kinds of things. Now they use those supplemental levies just to keep the lights on and the buses running. As a school board member in Coeur d'Alene shared with me, that they have cut their budget over $4 million in the last eight years. And as a result, they've had to pass supplemental levies. And if those levies failed, it would mean they would lose 27% of their budget, and it would be devastating to their schools. If we want our schools to provide, regardless of where you live in this state, we need to define what that basic education looks like, and our legislature needs to step up and make sure that it's funded. So if you live in Ledor, you get the same quality of ed education as if you lived here in Idaho Falls or you lived in the Treasure Valley. It's absolutely essential that we get this defined once and for all and we know what that basic education looks like for everyone and our districts can count on it. Thank you. Uh, two minutes to you. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I think what you're referring to is back in 2006 when the tax um, level shifted um, and that was under RISH. I don't think anybody could have foretold the future and yes, that destabilized education and it created the haves and the have-nots. Um, and it is the constitutional responsibility of any officer to make sure we uphold that, um, a free and thorough public education. But as your next state superintendent of public instruction, if elected, it will be my job to walk alongside the legislators and communicate that to them. As your educational leader, that is the job of them to communicate that and say, this is not working, this is what's going on on the front lines, we need to do things maybe a little differently, or we need to start exploring other avenues 
of revenue. Shake every tree, turn over every rock, do whatever it is that you need to do. However, under my leadership, I still made it work. And we went after different, I never asked for another dime. What we did in that building does transfer to the state of Idaho. And what we did was go out and do things like open the doors. The building that I was working in was 65% poverty and 45% English language learners. And, and I remind you, they had never, that building was built in the 1960s, they had never made any academic gains. And so what we did had nothing to do with money. We opened the doors and we said, these kids need access. They don't get to go to the library. They don't have access to textbooks. They don't have access to their teacher. They need access, increased time. Recess, you wanna to go to recess or do you wanna come in? Do you wanna sit in front of the computer? Do you wanna learn? Do you wanna use a virtual library? We brought in bring your own devices days where kids could get on the virtual library. Kids were walking down the hallway like this. We were saying, get off that library. Get out of the library and get to PE. So time. those are the types time. of things that we did. Thank you very much. So we're going to ask a follow-up question, then we're going to come to you, Dr. Jones. So, Ms. Barr, do you support the idea of equalizing spending across the state, and how would you accomplish that? Um, I support adequate funding, and what that means is making sure that school districts um, are not operating on a four-day work week and that they do not have a, a basic lack of supplies and that they do not um, have large classroom sizes. And so... Um, what that means is, what does that look like when you're talking to the legislators? What does that look like as your next state superintendent of public instruction when I'm having those conversations with them? And so you're referring to tax levels that are strictly the job of the legislators, and then my job is strictly to communicate to them, oh, you know what, I'm not so sure this is working. Thank you. Uh, to you now, Dr. Jones, two minutes. It's absolutely essential that we have a state superintendent who is strong, who has a voice and is not just walking alongside the legislature, but working with the legislature. We need someone who can say, this is absolutely essential, and then help problem solve where we find those resources to meet the needs of our kids. Our uh, taxpayers in Idaho have stood up in 94 districts and said, we want better education in Idaho by passing supplemental levies so their schools can continue to operate. I believe Idahoans care about education, and they want someone who is strong, who has a voice, and is not going to just acquiesce to whatever the legislature or whatever um, someone is telling them to do, but that they will advocate strongly for the needs of our kids, for the needs of our schools, but also work collaboratively to try and find the ways to get that done. It's not easy, it's gonna be a lot of hard work, but I know we can do it, and we can do it together. Thank you very much. Uh, next question now to you, Ms. Ybarra. Um, you've indicated that you want adequate funding for education. Does that mean that you support Superintendent's Superintendent Luna's proposed 6.9% increase, about a $10 million increase? Do you think that's adequate, or would you be asking for more from the legislature? I'm so glad you asked me that question, because my opponent has stated earlier that I supported Mr. Luna's budget. And you know, I think it's important to remember that although there's missteps along the way, I'm not a finger pointer and I will not be disrespectful. Um, that's just not how I operate. Um, Mr. Uh, Luna's budget is just that, it's his budget. Um, and so I understand that I can take the opportunity to go into that office 
and transition in. I'm a strong girl. I don't think I'm going to take on anybody's personality or let them tell me what to do. I think we've learned that already. Um, but that's how you prepare for this. And as one of the chief financial officers for my school district, for nine schools, nearly 4,000 students, and 300 employees, that's what I do for a living is budgets. And I work with another guy who's a, who's a business manager. And he works with his part of the budget, and we come together and we present that to a team. And I have done that now for a few years. And so before I took that seat, same exact thing. I sit in there, I pay attention, I study before I ask for a dime more to present that. And so what I'm going to do with that budget is study and be very thorough before I decide any moves I'm going to make. I don't know any state superintendent of public instruction who would not do that. It just doesn't make any sense to sit back from the sidelines and say, I'm just going to ask for more. I'm just going to take on somebody else's budget. I know I can amend that budget at any time. So I'm going to take my time and I'm going to thoroughly study that before I make any moves. I have two months. If I take that transitional period, I have two months. That's plenty of time. Thank you. Two minutes to you, Dr. Jones. I think it's unfortunate that we continue to mislead people about what we do and, and how we operate. A chief financial officer is someone who is over the finances of the school, and there are business managers in our school district. And regardless of what you say, Sherry, you're not a CFO. You're a project director or a program director for federal programs. Yes, you have a budget, but you're not a CFO. And I think it's misleading to lead people to believe that you've done that. But I can tell you that I have worked on the state budget. I worked on this public school budget when I was uh, in the office with Dr. Marilyn Howard, and I know what it takes to move it forward. I have looked at Tom Luna's budget, and there are too many things in there that need to change. It's got a lot of strings attached, which I'm hearing from our districts. They want the ability to make the decisions for themselves and we need to free it up and, and do local control and, and give it back to our, our school boards to do that. We also, um, in the area where things have been cut um, in operations, Mr. Luna's budget only proposed a $10 million increase, which is not meeting the number one recommendation from the governor's task force, uh, which was to restore funding back to our public schools. We can't do it in little increments if we're going to meet the needs of our school districts. I know what it takes to prepare a budget, and I also know that we only have until November 28th to submit a revised budget to legislative services offices. So we, we're going to have one month to revise that budget. We can't do it at any time. It can only be done according to the guidelines set by the state. So it's absolutely critical that we have someone who can look at that budget, know what needs to be done, get it revised, and get it resubmitted by November 28th. And I can do that. Thank you. One minute for rebuttal. You can't amend it at any time? No. You can't amend the budget? You don't have the opportunity to make an amendment? Not as a state superintendent. No. And if I'm not a federal programs director and a curriculum director, I'd like to know what you think my job description is. If we're simply just... Uh, program directors, what is my job description? Have you ever been a federal programs director? Yes, I have. And a curriculum director? No. Okay. So you, you know me, my job description? Uh, excuse me, Ms. Jabara, I'm going to interrupt here for a second. Per our protocol, you'll each have a chance to ask one another a question in just a moment. But I want to go back to the question uh, that, you're, that you're being asked. So you've seen Mr. Luna's budget. 
What do you like about it? What don't you like about it, please? Well, w there are some things in there that um, are earmarked. And so what that means is the school districts can only spend it in certain areas. And so those are the things that I would like to take a look at and remove that and give back local control to districts. Because until they have an opportunity to make those decisions, you don't know if they have adequately what it is that they need. And so that only then can you start having discussions. Thank you. Now the next question to you, Dr. Jones. Uh, you've looked at uh, Mr. Luna's budget. What do you like? What don't you like? What would you change? Two minutes. Mr. Luna's budget did um, ask for an increase. I, don't, I think we need to look at it and see and work with our educational stakeholders as well as our legislators who are working on the education uh, budgets as well and, and get from them what, where the needs really are and I intend to do that if elected. Uh, immediately when I did my first review of the budget, I don't like that everything is line itemed and what I've heard from districts is because of the way the budgets have been developed the last eight years, everything is line item and so when it comes to the districts, they don't have the opportunity to determine what is most appropriate for their schools and where they want to put their resources to meet their needs. It's really critical that we free that up and get rid of the line item budgets and that we allow our local elected school boards, because that's what they were elected to do, is to help run those districts and give them the resources they need. And as I stated earlier, the 10 million to re, uh, into operations does not come close to meeting um, the needs of our districts right now, but it needs to go back to get that flexibility back to the districts. Then it won't be a line item, only 10 million that they can share among all of our districts and charter schools it would be more flexible so I think that's the important thing here is providing the flexibility in our budgets um, that's that's what our districts need that's what they want and that's what we need to do thank you and now Ms. Zabara you if you've looked at Mr. Luna's budget uh, specifically what do you like what you what don't you like what would you change um, there were some professional development dollars in there that was um, dedicated. There were some technology items in there that was very dedicated. And so as a person who's been on the front lines, um, I questioned technology for the sake of technology. doesn't make any sense to me. So one example I will give you is that several school, schools were built in the industrial age. And so what that means is the building is aging and they don't have, I know one school in particular that has one outlet in the entire classroom. And so there were some concerns there about if the only thing I can spend that money on is technology, how does that benefit me? And so those are some of the things I've been looking at that I would like to change, um, that I would look at changing um, and remove some of those strings to give back local control to districts. Thank you. One minute back to you for rebuttal. I just think it's very important that we have a state superintendent who understands public school budgets, how they're developed, what it takes, and that we don't have to wait to review, but we can get right in there and go to work day one. I am that person who has that background knowledge and skills to make that happen. Thank you. Uh, new question, and now to you, Ms. Zabara. We've reached that time in the program where you each invited to ask the other of a, uh, a question, uh, and you'll have two minutes to respond. Would you like to ask your opponent a question? I would, thank you. I would like to ask, when's the last time you were in the classroom as a teacher? How long ago? Last time I was in a classroom as a teacher was in 19, I have to think about it. It was, I was teaching kindergarten at, at my private preschool program. Um, 
being a classroom teacher is really important. And um, I value the time I had as a classroom teacher over 10 years between teaching in public school and then teaching in a private early childhood program that I owned and operated. It was a great experience for me and it gives me the perspective of what teachers need and the kind of support that they need. I think it's real important too that being the state superintendent isn't about being a classroom teacher. It's about providing resources and providing guidance at the state level to what needs to happen on the broader policy spectrum. Understanding how policies are written, how, how policies affect districts, and that we're not making policies that is a one size fits all. The policies that we make uh, have to work as well in Ledor and Chalice and Mackey as they do here in Idaho Falls and Bonneville and in Rexburg. And that we can't have a superintendent who's only had a one district experience in one area, never worked anywhere else in the state, until you've traveled this state and worked in all these different districts. Then you understand how important it is to have a broader perspective than a one district point of view. And that's what I offer. Thank you. Now you have one minute for rebuttal, please. What my opponent has really said to you is she is the only leader in this room. That teachers are not leaders, that parents are not leaders, that principals are not leaders, that vice principals are not leaders, that superintendents are not leaders. She is the only leader and that's very offensive to the very folks that she is going to have to be moving forward in education. As a person who has been on the front lines with her sleeves rolled up, a part of all of this, I am very well aware of what is going on and absolutely have spent all my time with those people on the front lines understanding what it is that they're going through because I've been doing it as well. And that is the exact experience that I'm going to bring to the state of Idaho as a certified superintendent with all that experience under my belt. Thank you. Moderator's prerogative, I'm now gonna give you a minute to rebut those remarks and then you'll get a minute for Sir Rebuttal, please. Um, I was standing here speaking and I don't believe I dissed any person or anybody in the room. Teachers are incredible. They're classroom leaders, they do a lot. I didn't diss parents. And to say that is very misleading. It's really unfortunate that we have to ha we make up things to make us sound good. I can tell you that I understand every person and what their jobs are in our districts, what they do for our districts, and how they need to be empowered to do their job. And as state superintendent, I will empower our folks and not put into place policies that will inhibit them or take away from them in any way, shape, or form. Thank you. Now one minute back to you. Oh, I'm good. Thank you. You're good. Thank you. All right. Now it's your opportunity, Dr. Jones. Would you like to ask your opponent a question? Sure. Uh, Sherry, last week in Lewiston, you were talking to a group of Republicans and you were talking about the state budget and you said that Idahoans should, and I quote, stop asking for more when it comes to educational dollars. And then a few days before that, when we were in uh, this, at the City Club or in the Treasure Valley talking at one of the forums we were at, you proposed that you would carry forward Tom Luna's budget, which asks for a 7% increase. And then again today, you've been talking about having adequate funding. I'm just really confused. Which is it? Are you saying stop asking for money, or are you saying we need more money? Well, first I um, would like to talk about my visit in Lewiston um, with folks up there. So the question was about the budget. Um, how much 
let's back up. How much um, is dedicated to education? And I said 60%, uh, over 60% of the state budget is dedica dedicated to education. That's 47% K through 12, and then the rest higher education and research, ag research. So there's the full 60%. And I said, that tells me something. That tells me that if over 60% of the state budget is going to education, we need a state superintendent who can be thorough and study through that. Stop asking for more until you are studying and making sure every single dollar is stretched. And that comes from the experience of the school that I came from that everybody told me as I went in that building, you are not going to make a difference. There is not enough money. That school has never made any gains. Those kids can't speak English and they're poor and they just it's just not going to work for you. And I said, you know what, I'd like an opportunity to study that budget and make that determination. Those teachers need my support and those are somebody's most precious commodity. They can make gains. They can make academic gains, and I'm going to prove to you that money has nothing to do with it. Now, did they need basic supplies? Absolutely. Um, and so we worked on that piece, and that's where we focused. But we focused on a vision for the future. And like I said earlier, do I think we're spread dangerously thin? Probably. Uh, but until I get an opportunity to prove that we have stretched everything, and I am the state superintendent who goes before the legislators and says, this is just not working. You're not going to hear me be the politician and have it come out of my mouth and later on have to swallow that. It's just not going to happen. I'm not a politician. I'm an educational leader. Thank you. One minute for rebuttal to you, Dr. Jones. Well, what it sounds to me like is a politician talking that when I talk to one group, I say one thing, and when I talk to another group, I say something else. And that is exactly the kind of political speak we need to stop doing. We need to be able to have a superintendent who can be honest and upfront, speak clearly about what the needs of our, are of our schools, that can stand up and defend anything that is asked for. I, as a state superintendent, will not be asking for frivolous money or more things than we need. But working with our local districts, they can tell us every day where their gaps are, where their holes are how they can't recruit and retain teachers because of where our salaries are in this state. It's not going to be something that's just a pie in the sky, and I'm not, um, as my opponent has referred to me as a tax and spend, uh, that I have that mentality. First of all, I can't tax, and then spending is really based on the needs of our kids in our schools. Time, please. Thank you. Uh, next round of questions, and this goes to you, uh, Dr. Jones. In your view, has the Idaho legislature met its constitutional requirement uh, to provide for fair, thorough, and uniform uh, education in the state of Idaho? Two minutes. Uh, our governor has actually stood up and said that Idaho is not meeting its constitutional uh, obligations. And so as a state superintendent, and when you look at that, you can tell and you know that our state is not currently meeting those obligations and that we need to find ways to make that happen for our schools. As a state superintendent, again, what I talked about was bringing that group of people together so we can finally define what that constitution means and how we're going to then go forward and find that stable source of funding, regardless of what it takes. But I think our legislature wants to stand up and do that as well. They believe in our schools. They believe in our kids. And yes, we want to be fiscally responsible, and I am a fiscally responsible person. I don't want to... Um, cause us to have any harm or damage to any other services that this great state provides. 
but I do know if we want to turn our economy around and we want to have strong, viable communities, the thing that makes that happen is our public education system, and it's time that we have someone that will stand up and advocate for that. Thank you. Two minutes to you, Ms. Ybarra. Um, I think it's important to remember that, um, like I said earlier, as a constitutional officer, it is our responsibility to uphold the Constitution and make sure that schools are funded adequately and thoroughly. Um, but it's also important to remember that the people elected the legislators and the people elected the governor. And so although um, I can't tell them what to do, um, it is part of their job. And again, we could have never um, foreseen the economy taking the turn that it has. And so yes, the governor and the legislators are very aware of what's been happening and they are more than willing to work on it and move forward. I think it's, this economy has been hard on everybody, including me and my family. So uh, that's no big secret. Um, and I don't think it's any big secret that the next state superintendent of public instruction, like myself, is aware of that and has been working in that and knows exactly where we can make positive changes to move forward in Idaho. Thank you. So as a follow-up, if you don't think that the legislature has met its constitutional requirement, then do you believe that state agencies and state officials are exempt from following the Constitution? Um, I never said that they didn't meet their constitutional requirements, but what I'm saying is they are realizing that the economy has been very hard on education. And like I said, nobody could have seen that that tax shift back in 2006 would destabilize education. So everybody's aware of it and they're, they're ready to move forward and explore every opportunity of revenue for Idaho schools. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Jones, Ms. Ibarra believes that the state has met its constitutional obligations. Do you agree? If not, why not? Uh, I don't agree. Um, when you look at our school districts, like I said earlier, 94 of our school, 115 school districts are having to pass levies just for operation. We. Our local taxpayers are standing up to try and meet our constitutional obligation. It's not coming from the state where it belongs. And that's what we need to turn around and get going forward. And I can tell you that back in 2006, I was still working in the Department of Education. And when we did, when Governor Rush did propose that tax budget shift, there are superintendents in this room that I know went before the legislature and told them that this would be devastating and not to shift from property tax to sales tax. They went ahead and went down the road with it. Um, I know Dr. Marilyn Howard testified against it. They did have the information, but they proceeded down that road because we were flush in our economy and thought it was time to do a tax cut. That tax cut alone has been so devastating to our public schools. We need to get back to where we find that stable source of funding. Thank you. A uh, minute for rebuttal, if you'd like. Um, so what my opponent has essentially um, admitted to is that she wasn't effective in walking alongside the legislators and talking to them about uh, maybe you shouldn't take this route. Uh, but I don't know how anybody could have known that was going to happen. Economists didn't know. And actually, if you see the research, they're saying that the recession started hitting Idaho in public education back in 2002. So um, I, I disagree with my opponent. Thank you very much. New round of questions, and this goes to you, Ms. Ibarra. Uh, as, as you know, press reports have chronicled um, what, is, what are described as missteps or misrepresentations on the part of your campaign, ranging from lifting material from Dr. Jones' website, claiming it as your own, rep misrepresenting 
uh, some personal history involving a marriage, uh, perhaps misrepresenting a doctoral degree at University of Idaho. Here's your chance to respond, if you will please, to the question, have you engaged in misrepresentations and where do you stand now on these issues? I was hoping you would ask me that question. Um, you know, I think that's all campaign rhetoric and political um, um, things that Idaho is really tired of. Um, instead of focusing on the negative with your opponent, um, you need to be focusing on the vision for the future. Um, I never said I was going to run a perfect campaign. Um, and, and I think it's important to remember as I'm traveling across the state of Idaho and I'm talking to educators, the first thing out of their mouth is I am so sick and tired of the negativity. We need someone who is going to maintain a hard focus on our kids and be an educational leader. And you are that person because you've been there. You get it. You understand. Everything that you say makes sense to me. And you have a child. I have a child in the public school system right now. And I am not going to do anything to my own child or expect anything out of my own child that, that um, would be detrimental. And so... You know, these are people's most precious commodity, and they want to know that their leader knows everything in every phase of education, and they want to hear more about the focus on education and less about the political rhetoric and the campaign stuff. And that's what I'm here for today, is to talk about education. Thank you very much. So, follow-up question. Uh, aside from the campaign rhetoric and the negativity, then I'd like you to address the question, please. Have you misrepresented some personal elements and professional pursuits and educational goals during your campaign? Oh, absolutely not. I think it's important to remember that sometimes they don't tell you the, the question that was asked. Um, you know, I'll talk to you about the divorce. I'm not ashamed of that. I think um, it's important to remember they asked me, give me an overview of your family. Well, that is my family. So that would just be one example of sometimes the questions that are being asked. And again, I'm here to talk about education and what I can do for education and the type of leader I am. I think that's a great opportunity to also say in the face of adversity, you will see the kind of leader you're going to get, and I am still here, and I am successful, and I am proud to be in front of you, and I would be proud to represent you as the next state superintendent of public instruction. Thank you. And now two minutes to you, Dr. Jones. Do you believe that your opponent has engaged in misrepresentations of her personal and professional pursuits? Two minutes. It's interesting as you campaign that you have to be upfront and honest with the people that you're talking to. And that you don't shy away from the hard questions and that you're honest. And when I think of someone who's out campaigning, what I as a voter want, what I know most of you probably want, is someone who can be honest and upfront, has integrity, and demonstrates that integrity on a regular basis. This is not about political rhetoric. This is about misleading the public to understand that things were in place that actually weren't in place. And I think it represents the kind of person, when you watch campaigns, you look at how the person ran the campaign, you look at how they present themselves, and then you determine, is this person going to be the kind of person we want representing us? I believe that it's very important that our voters in Idaho know exactly what they can expect from someone when they are running for a public office. I did not bring these topics up, but they have come forward as part of the political uh, campaigning that goes on. And they need to be addressed because I do believe it has been misleading about what kind of leadership that you could expect from my opponent. 
I believe that we need someone, we've had eight years of someone we didn't trust, someone who has thrown things at us and just gone forward and moved it forward without involving stakeholders and being engaged with the public. And my fear is that we have seen a demonstration of what that looks like and how that would continue down this road. Thank you. One minute of rebuttal, if you'd like. Um, yes, I think that's interesting that you give it the term, the political campaigning, but you don't uh, even address the fact that Idahoans are tired of that. They understand, they know that's what's, what's, what's going on with education, that education is not the focus. And I have been honest and forthcoming. I don't care what it is that you're doing. I am focused on the future. I am focused on our kids at all times. I am focused on what I can do for education. I've admitted every step of the way. I am not a perfect campaigner. You will never hear me say that, and you have already seen it. But misrepresentation, no. Have I been um, misleading to the public? No. You need to ask the question you want answered. Thank you very much. Uh, next round of questions now to you, Dr. Jones. As you know, Idaho has a very low ratio when it comes to the number of high school graduates going on to college. In your view, what key change is required so as to persuade and to promote a higher attendance at our universities and colleges uh, so that we can uh, guarantee that our students successfully complete a post-secondary degree uh, curriculum? It's real important, first of all, that we look at our current uh, standards that we have or our expectations for our students. And having high expectations for our kids so that when they graduate from high school, that they can make the uh, choice that they want, uh, whatever their future may be. And having those kinds of standards, what we hear from our universities, our kids are having to take remedial courses and from employers that they're not prepared. So it's real important that we have higher standards, higher expectations for our kids, and that we better prepare them for the next step in their life. I think it's also important that we look at other kinds of opportunities for kids for a go-on rate. Higher ed is one option, and our community colleges is another. But we also need to value that some of our kids go into the military, and that is the way that they can sometimes get their next training opportunities or their education paid for. We need to also look at professional technical programs and how kids can articulate from one uh, educate professional technical program in high school to uh, community college and that those val uh, credits transfer. We also need to look at trade programs. A lot of our kids want to go into a trade where they have apprenticeship programs. Those are all areas that we need to value and that we need to count as part of our going on rate because that's what we do, that's what we have in Idaho available to our students. And then you know, just work real hard that our kids are also prepared to meet some of those soft skills that I'm hearing from employers. Time management, good written and um, verbal communication skills, and that they have a strong work ethic. And we can do that in public schools through the way that we have set expectations for our kids. Thank you. As moderator's prerogative, uh, as a follow-up question, do you think that the standards currently in place are satisfactory or do they need to be raised K through 12? I believe that the standards that we have currently adopted, the Idaho core, is a step in the right direction. The standards we had per before, that's where we ran into the problems and the issues that parents were and um, our universities were saying our kids are not prepared. But I do know in traveling the state as I've talked to teachers and I've talked to um, folks out in our districts, they're telling me that there's some issues with the standards, that there's some holes and gaps that need to be filled. 
Also, parents have shared with me that they have some current concerns about certain standards. And I've committed to them that as superintendent, I will bring a group of folks together, we'll review the Idaho core standards, we will put them, um, revise them, and make them work for Idaho, rather than just you know, moving forward with what, the way they're currently written. Thank you. And Ms. Yabara, the question to you then is, given the fact that we have a low ratio of students who go on to college, what key change or changes would you uh, suggest making in K through 12 so we can increase the number of students to go into our universities? Well, that's a, a two-part answer, um, and I'm so glad that I have more than most times I have 60 seconds to answer a question. So um, two minutes this time you said? Okay. So the first part of that is let's back all the way up and make sure that our graduation rates are correct, and that's exactly why we went to a new um, calculation or a cohort is because we used to just, um, if they graduated from high school, give a check, um, check if they get through 12th grade, check. But now what they're doing is they're tracking them from 9th grade all the way through 12th grade to be sure that our graduation rates are um, correct. And so that'll help us a little bit. The other piece of that is, um, so are our students graduating first before then can we dress are they going on? Number one, the other piece of that is the 21st century abilities that we needed to start working on. That was the whole reason that we adopted new standards because I'm sure everybody in this room is aware or has been to McDonald's or has been to Walmart or someplace where the cash register goes down and the, the person behind the register looks at you and goes, mm, I can't count the change back because they can't make the connection that if, you, if it was 99 cents and they gave you a dollar, um, that, you know, that there's a penny missing in there somewhere, count up. Um, so that's a 21st century ability and that's why we needed new standards because what's happening is kids are needing remediated and so they are stressed and they get to college and they realize, oh, I'm not prepared for this. And so either they drop out or um, even worse, they never return. And so that's exactly why we went to new standards in Idaho is because we were realizing those 21st century abilities, kids were not connecting the real world to the academic world. And so we, that is great because that's our new focus in Idaho. And those are two things. The other thing is creating access. That's why we went to um, a lot of the online courses is so that kids could start preparing early and get a grip on, is this for me or not? Um, and so it was really nice that I had a, a, a conversation with a family in Mountain Home because of the Air Force Base. They said, oh my goodness, Idaho, you need to shout that from the rooftops that you are giving time, access time, to kids um, through um, online you. classes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Next question, last round of questions, and, and this goes to you. The first question goes to you, Ms. Ibarra. Uh, studies show that here in Idaho, 50% of the children who enter, enter kindergarten are unprepared to learn. Are you a supporter of uh, early childhood education? And if so, what would you do to promote that? Um, I agree with that. Um, and it's interesting that my son himself, um, I didn't send him to school until he was six years old. I mean, he just wasn't ready. And I'm a teacher. Um, so that's an example of would I mandate preschool? No. Does the opportunity need to be there? Yes. Because every dollar that we invest in preschool, you get an $18 return. The other piece of that as an educator, we all know, and parents know this too, education starts before you arrive to school. And so the bigger the achievement gap gets, the older they get, the harder it is to close it. So start early, start often. Now, when we talk about funding, someone always goes, well, you said they could either or. Yes, because I would have been the parent that would have been offended had you mandated that. My son was not ready for that. 
I took care of that at home. So choices and opportunities, the opportunity needs to be there and we need to be creative in the funding. And let me give you an example. So we always talk about, oh, kindergarten. We should make it a full day. We should make it a half day. Most districts in Idaho, did you know, are already full day kindergarten? because they've been creative with the funding. Kids that need the full day are getting it. So there's pilot programs out there. Kids who don't need the full day are not getting it. Parents have the opportunity to say, no, my student doesn't need the full day kindergarten. So we can do that. We've already done it. We can do that with preschool too, with a state superintendent of public instruction who knows how to be creative and knows how to get the job done. Thank you. Question to you now, two minutes, please. Early education, early learning is a passion of mine, and for many of you here in the room, I actually had your children at Progressive, and uh, know that I understand and value um, having good access to quality early learning programs. We do know that it makes a difference for our kids. I believe that Idaho has not taken a serious enough look at it, and what I hear from folks is, uh, as we talk about it is that we don't have good Idaho data. We have national data that shows the importance of early learning and kids having access to it. Uh, Representative Highclock from Boise has proposed, and I hope he will bring back this year, a proposal to fund a pilot program in early childhood so that we can gather the kind of data that our legislators need to make good uh, educational decisions for our young kids. In the meantime, there's some things that we need to do. We need to work hand in hand with our current early childhood providers, Head Start programs, uh, child care centers, preschool programs, and make sure that they understand what the expectations are for our kids when they come to public school so that they can be working on those things as well. And if, if we can move forward with providing um, uh, early childhood programs, then we need to make sure that we are not diminishing some of the programs that are out there. Head Start provides uh, access to the kinds of things that school districts don't do for some of our kids, which is quality health care, dental care, those kinds of things. We need to make sure they stay vibrant and that we're not going to undo what they currently provide. Um, and so as a state superintendent, I will advocate strongly for however we can get down the road so that we can provide access to early learning programs that parents can choose whether or not to send their kids to. It should not be mandatory, but I believe that most parents, if they have the ability, that they will Time. choose to send their kids. Time, thank you. Uh, one minute of rebuttal if you'd care. Oh no, I, I um, know that we take advantage of a lot of those programs in our school district. Um, the Head Start programs, especially, um, there's two different kinds, there are two different um, divisions. There's the migrant Head Start piece for early um, language learners. Um, and so families are taking advantage of that as much as they can, but I do understand that some don't qualify for those programs. Um, those are some, what I call band-aid approaches until we um, can move forward. Um, but yes, you need to sing from the rooftops in the meantime, take advantage of your library, um, and that would be the job of the next state superintendent of public instruction. Take advantage of the, those programs in the meantime, but we need to move forward and we need a state superintendent who understands that learning actually starts at home before you come to school. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we've come to the final portion of our program. Uh, by virtue of the coin toss, uh, Dr. Jones will now offer three minutes of concluding remarks and then Ms. Ibarra will have her turn, please. Well, thank you again to City Club for providing this opportunity for us to be here today. You know, we only get one chance to educate our kids, 
and we need, owe it to him to get it right the very first time. That's not a Democratic value or a Republican value, but it is a strong Idaho value. I believe deeply in the greatness of Idaho, and I believe that we can have an education system that is worthy of it. <clears throat> Schools that our parents feel good about sending their kids to. Schools that our communities uh, feel proud of. Schools that our taxpayers feel like are a good investment. And schools where our kids can get the skills and knowledge that they need to make the future of their choice. Now the next superintendent has a lot of work to do. Vital programs have been cut, budgets have been cut, classrooms are overcrowded, local control has been diminished, and trust has been lost. Idahoans, especially our kids, deserve better than this, and I believe there is a better way. The choice for Idaho voters over this office is a very clear one. I am better prepared, I have more experience, and will provide leadership you can count on to always tell you exactly like it is. My opponent will continue the race to the bottom that Tom Luna has led us on. And I have to say, how a person operates as a candidate and the kind of campaign they run is indicative of how they'll be in office. Tom Luna has created a trust deficit in this state for our state educational leadership, and Idahoans have had enough. My pledge to you today is to always advocate for our children and for our schools. You can trust me um, to advocate for our school boards to make the decisions that are best for their schools and that it won't be top down from the state. And you can count on me to provide leadership that will always listen, be inclusive, transparent, and accountable, but most importantly, leadership you can trust. I'm Jana Jones. I'm standing up for kids. And on November 4th, I hope you'll stand with me. Thank you. Thank you. And now three minutes to you, Ms. Avera. Thank you for listening during this entire debate about one of my most favorite subjects, which happens to be education. Um, and thank you for your hospitality and your respect. And the food was wonderful. And I keep eyeballing it because as soon as we're finished, I think I'm going to go finish my plate there. But um, for the respect that you've shown me, I really appreciate it. Um, you really do have a stark difference in um, choices for candidates for this position. I have been on the front lines of education for nearly 20 years with my sleeves rolled up, earning the respect of the very team that I'm going to need to lead forward in Idaho. I am a conservative leader who believes in stretching the dollar and using it adequately. I um, also understand that I am in the prime of my career. I have the enthusiasm, the skill set, and the energy to move us forward in Idaho. And I would be proud and honored to represent you as the next state superintendent of public instruction. My name is Sherry Ibarra, and I ask for your support in November, and I thank you for your time. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give both candidates a nice round of applause. <laughs>